Welcome to this episode of ClearedCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. First, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by vdestination.com, a blog and podcast focused on the latest news, how-tos, and trends in virtualization. Learn more about building a home lab, social engineering, cybersecurity, and IT certifications at vdestination.com. Thanks for tuning in to this episode where I'm joined by Jill Hamilton, editor at the news site, and we are going to give you a rundown on what's been happening in intelligence and security clearance news, career advice. Now we have some juicy stories that broke last week. So thanks so much for joining me today, Jill. I'm excited to chat. Yeah. Hey, hey, let's talk about some stories here. So we looked at this past week. It was all about like leaking classified information as well as defining close and continuing relationships with foreign nationals. Mm-hmm. Um, Christopher Burgess wrote about the DOD engineer, James Robert Schweitzer. Essentially, he used medicinal marijuana. Good news is he told his facility security officers FSO, but mistakenly he was told no biggie because it was legal in California at that point. And this person obviously thought, that's not a big deal. So he comes up for periodic review. Turns out it is a big deal. And he lost his clearance then. So then it goes up to the Defense Office of Hearings and Appeals, Doha. They said, hey, stop using this going forward and you're good to go. Clearance can be reinstated. And all through this, the cool thing is that his contractor didn't fire him. Instead, they gave him a position that just didn't require security clearance. Eventually, he quit the company. The end. (laughs) Just kidding. <laughs> if only, you know, because mm-hmm. he was like, no, I, I'm not going to stop using marijuana. Then he went on to throw this multi-year temper tantrum and tossed about classified information over email to former colleagues and then also directly to the media. FBI has been involved. And finally, he was arrested earlier this month. Christopher put at the end, all these lessons learned, which are great, I think, for clearance holders and companies, because there's just different warning signs here and there along the way that you can see, you know, he's read out of different programs, but somehow he still had access to information in some way, shape or form, whether he took it with him or not, that he was then sending out. So, you know, there's just different ways. And and also, I think it was great that Christopher pointed out that there's a reason why information is classified. And it actually, just because it was like a year ago that you had this content or access to it or Five years ago, it can still stand the test of time. So we really have to be careful of that and make sure that we are holding that information carefully like it's supposed to be, you know? Sure. You know, what's really unfortunate with James Schweitzer's case is the fact that, you know, his FSO kind of, you know, fudged it and said that he was told it was not a big deal. And he was given so many chances to Mm -hmm. still be able to work in, you know, the cleared industry. He just didn't take those chances. I mean, man, you're using medicinal marijuana, which is under federal law illegal, and Mm -hmm. therefore, for clearance holders, you can't do but you were given so many second chances, man. (laughs) Like, and it's like, he didn't lose his job over this. For some, mm -hmm. like, there are certain jobs where they don't have a backup plan for you. They have a backup plan for him. He just couldn't work on the same programs that he was before he had all these chances, and he threw them all away in a big, giant, 
temper tantrum like a two-year-old sure. <laughs> to try to get back at them, you know, and, and the DOD, like I'll stick it to them. But like, really what you're doing is you're, you're playing with national security. That's the problem. It's not just you're upset about the decisions rendered to you personally. You are not treating information about our nation's security in a way that it needs to be treated. So. Well, it's, you know, it's terrible it had to come to that, but that's the way, you know, the dominoes fall, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So then we've also had a few cases lately highlighting the responsibility that clearance holders have with reporting foreign contacts. We've seen in the news lately that this is an issue that impacts politicians as well. And even one of our articles this week, we looked at even how other nations abroad have this issue with the Norwegian president having to step down, or he chose to personally step down due to his spouse residing, being Chinese, but also living there as well, put him as a too big of a target, I guess. And then... Christopher also wrote about the Navy chief who was allegedly sharing classified information with his Russian girlfriend. He withheld this information on multiple forms. So he had a lot of chances to actually give this information. So it seems clear that they found out his travel plans that were different from what he submitted. They found those things out from details that surfaced afterwards. So the truth, as it often does, came to light. I think this is a really great case for FSOs to look over to see what red flags kept coming up. So that you can, you know, kind of tweak things and keep your eye out for those things going forward. Or even other clearance holders, as you hear people coming back and, you know, on their travel plans, they said, hey, we're going to Nebraska. And then they go to Serbia, you know, like this guy did. <laughs> that should set up some red flags that it should be OK to report that. Yeah. And with this case, I know that he was the IT Navy chief. I just hope that, you know. Whatever information, you know, we're not going to know what information he was sharing with his girlfriend, you know, in the public mm -hmm. eye. But I hope that other, you know, chiefs <laughs> are, are thinking about this case and, you know, what information could have been leaked and yeah. safeguarding that information. Absolutely. Then in the clearance world, we're going to keep pulling on that uh, foreign influence thread. We had a weekly, one of our weekly videos helping to clarify, you know, what, who you do or don't need to report. Like, I know it's, it's easy to say like, when in doubt, report it, which is true. But if you live in a diverse area, kind of like I do, it can be confusing for a clearance holder to know what constitutes close and continuing. So we highlight three scenarios that you can probably skip on reporting. And I say probably because as long as it's clear that they don't cross that line into more of a relationship then you can lean this way of not having to report them. Because it can be, like if you're over-reporting, it does lead to a lot of paperwork for you and for others. So again, not to say that paperwork should never stop you from doing the right thing. Whether that's the human thing of developing a relationship with another human being because that's the good thing to do, or that means reporting an actual close and continued relationship. Don't stay away from doing those things just because of paperwork. But there are three that are kind of gray, but you can lean towards not reporting if they fall into certain categories, like former classmate, former coworker, neighbor. So the distinguishing factors here are things like maybe you don't remember their last name because you never really had that. That's not super close. Or you only chat with them about like school stuff business things. You don't keep up with them anymore. You don't hang out. So, you know, everything is just pretty much passive. The difference is like, so say they're a neighbor and suddenly you're sitting around your fire pit roasting marshmallows. The situation is completely different now. So if you had somebody, you're just like initial introduction, you heard where they're from and you just pretty much wave to each other. That's fine. 
Okay. But it's much different if you're like, okay, let's grill some hot dogs together or movie night, even outdoor movie night, trying to get the neighborhood together. And that's okay. Those are good things to do. I mean, it's good to invest in them, but it's helpful to know where the line is crossed for reporting Mm -hmm. and starting that paperwork trail. Cause it does, it is a trail that you have to kind of keep establishing and stay on top of and manage. So it's good to kind of know that. And then Lindy had her weekly doa dose looking at foreign influence from another angle. This case here with doa, the, the clearance applicant submitted the argument that his mom had passed away. So she can no longer be considered foreign influence. There's just a couple issues with this where the applicant self-represented. So with that becomes like just different particulars, like you can add new information and the country of origin and their terms with the United States was also factored in. So just because that one family member died, it doesn't mean that a decision is automatically overturned. And I think the case really highlighted the help that an attorney can provide for cases like this. Lindy says country of origin, length of time in the U.S., and a variety of factors contribute to foreign influence security clearance denials. Don't assume you can just inform the government that a relative is dead and your foreign allegiance won't be questioned. Coercion is a key security concern for applicants with foreign ties, but it's not the only one. So they're looking at your ties to your country as a whole. That one piece of information doesn't necessarily change what that decision is. It could, but there's different ways to go about that. Sure. Well, and, you know, it almost goes back to the whole person concept when it comes to applying for a security clearance. Just because a relative dies doesn't mean you still have love for your country or you still have other ties to that country. It's sort of the whole picture that we're going to be looking at. Yeah. Lots of things going into there. Sure. Well, and with the reporting on foreign contacts, I really like that story. And it reminds me of one that I read that someone was applying for a security clearance and it doesn't relate to foreign contacts, but it relates to IT systems. And they weren't sure if they should report when they were in high school and they cheated on one of their online quizzes. And, you know, a federal investigator was saying, you know, that's not something you really need to report on your SF-86. But I mean, it just goes to show that, you know, uh, people applying for security clearances, they you know, tend to overanalyze the questions, but that's why you got to, you know, rely on resources to ask your questions because they are, Mm -hmm. there are no stupid questions when it comes to applying for a security clearance. Right. Which makes sense. Cause like you said, they're looking at that whole person. So sometimes it's in the details, like they're going to find out different things like, oh, this is going to lead them down the trail to make this assumption about this person or this decision about them. Because it just like when they piece so many different things together, they see that different picture and then it can be for good or for bad. That is the reason for the process being the way it is. Well, yeah. What happened with career advice last week? All right. So Steve Leonard wrote about Colin Powell's leadership rules. I think the rules are super simple and direct, but man, they really pack a punch. It's interesting to see how many leaders set up a guiding path of rules that just guide them going forward. They look back on their experiences. So for people like Powell or for Steve, it's a matter of, you know, you collect experiences from your time in the uniform and then apply that going forward. And it's a really great practice to do to figure out what your personal values are and how you want to operate. I really couldn't pick just a few of Powell's rules because every each one I read were like, oh, yeah, that's rung true over the years for sure. You know, like I've watched myself feel pulled into the success of a project or decision. So when that 
project started to like go a little bit down a little bit, I'd have to fight against my personal, like inside like to not fight for something. I feel strongly like my ego is tied to like doing well or performing well. I was like, Oh, that's so true. Like you don't want your ego. Don't tie your ego to the work that you're doing necessarily. Cause when that work goes down, like your egos was with it. So sometimes you'll fight extra hard for things that shouldn't, like you should just let it go. <laughs> it's sure. not meant to see the light today. It's okay. <laughs> but it was interesting to see that called out specifically. Like, oh yeah, that is that is a thing. So, and I've watched other leaders, you know, who didn't have good instincts, like Paul was talking about, or were just really worried about looking good to the client. And then I've watched other good leaders stand for what's right and lose their jobs in the process. Actually, so I think it's really helpful to think through all these things, all these different roles, because you never know when you're going to be faced with a situation that's going to bring them up. And how you respond matters. You know, that's a really defining point in your career and in other people's careers, too. And then Jason Houck also wrote about the power of risk taking with some co-authors with them. But they highlight the fact that we need innovators, risk takers, you know, mavericks, really. I loved how he pointed out how in war, those are the leaders who rise to the top. Like they don't they're not thinking about their career progress. Instead, they think about ways to innovate and win the war. So he highlights the need for that mentality in the military, but also in organizations. Like it's easy for us to think that'll work in the military in the time of war. But how about an organization that has to live day in, day out, go through the mundane? He really points out that those people with big ideas, different approaches, don't bench them. We need, of course, the rule followers, but we also need those people who see the heart of what the needs are and they're willing to go the extra mile to get it done. Which is really so true. Like you see the organizations that one, stand the test of time and two, accomplish big things. They have some really big thinkers there who are willing to take some risks, think differently about things. Well, and it's about the leaders who are, you know, thinking about the mission as opposed to, you know, like he said, their career progress. You know, folks that are thinking about the betterment of or the safety of the US or you know supporting the warfighter thinking about the mission that's the most important thing in our field mm-hmm. so i really like don't think about your career progress i mean that's a great thing to think about everybody wants to hit their career goals but we're here to support the mission right and goals are just that they're goals to work for and it's okay to have them and it's okay to think of like best case scenario but it's also important like in the moment to not get bogged down by, oh, everybody said I have to do everything this way and just trying to make the right decision right there in that moment. And then looking back, you can usually trace all those defining moments that actually make up your career. But the goals are good. I mean, it's okay to have them. You just can't be like controlled by them, really. Right. No, that's a great point. And I think also when it comes to, you know, you're thinking about your career goals or thinking about your career progress versus thinking about the mission, it just comes Mm -hmm. to, you know, how selfless you are. It's a balance to keep, but, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, who you're bettering as opposed to, oh, I need to get this done for myself. Absolutely. Awesome. So what can we look forward to on the new site this week? Of course, every week we got our recruiting content, talk a lot about different clearance questions, leadership issues, workplace considerations, like how we're functioning. Because, you know, especially this year, our workplace has really changed for many, many people. So it's good to just to consider those different things. And then, of course, with the end of the year coming up and the beginning of a new one, it's a great time to focus on what are the lessons we've learned this year, key takeaways, 
other than 2020 was rough, you know, what are actual things we could learn from that? And then like, how do we want to start out 2021 on the right foot, you know, for our careers, for national security? I think it's helpful to look at that, even if, you know, like this year proved everything can change in a matter of a few months and not look anything like you thought it would at the beginning of the year. That's okay. We can still look out at like what to look out for for the year. Do you have any things you want to be working on in 2021, Jilly? Oh, goodness. <laughs> Put, putting I, you on the I, spot. <laughs> <laughs> I have been working on reading more um, and reading less electronically. I've loved my Kindle for so long, but just, but I think with so much computer time and things like that, it's been good to just step away and pick up an actual physical book. It's funny because I was not an early adopter for Kindles or anything like that. I actually was very disdainful of them. I love my books. And then uh, I suddenly got a hold of that. I mean, I had the app on my phone. It just made it so much easier because I was like, you know, I was busy, I have the kids at home. And so like, if I just found myself a few minutes, I could easily pick up and open up the app and start reading. But I'm just, it just leads to a lot of distraction. And so that's one of those things that I want to work on as well. I'm sure there's lots of other things in 2021, but that's, that's one of those things I've liked about this year with the slowing down. That's learning that those things are good to do. And so I'd love to apply that going forward, no matter what the year holds. Hopefully the year holds something different than 2020, but you know. Fingers crossed. Awesome. Well, that's all we have time for today. Be sure to follow us and click that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this episode of Clearedcast. And you won't want to miss our next episode when we chat with a contractor that's actually been fully remote since 2004. So they can certainly offer some insights on job seeking in a virtual environment and perhaps some things that you should not do. So as always, if you have any thoughts or questions about security clearances or you want us to dive into a specific topic, send us a note at editor at clearancejobs.com. Thanks so much for joining me, Jilly. Great to be here. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Clearedcast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.